Welcome to Inscripture Podcast. We're so glad to have you listen with us while we dive into Scripture and dissect God's Word verse by verse. Listen with us and don't forget to leave us questions and feedback as you journey with us through His Word. Welcome to Inscripture, the Off the Rails podcast. That was off topic. <laughs> prior to recording topic that we had. Um, I was thinking about our pizza discussion we had the other day and how serious of a discussion that was. So I've heard a lot of flack from it, um, some positive, some negative. So I thought... Flack is usually negative. Yeah. Can there be positive flack? No. All right. Well... well. <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm like, well, what would be a good idea? So my good idea was we should think of a different topic that we could bring up. Food, and, just as controversial. Um, this is not food, although some may consider it to be just as important. Mm. Coffee. Mm, mm-hmm, mm. So because there's Folgers. different kinds, and it's actually a perfect <laughs> crowd here tonight for a coffee discussion, because I think um, we have five people here and five of us drink coffee five different ways and we prefer like Surge, for example, will take a Folgers any day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can have that battery acid. <laughs> uh, Instant. <laughs> I will say my like my my coffee background started with Folgers, and I didn't know there was. I'm pretty sure better. all of us started with Folgers, <laughs> bro. That was where it's at. Yeah. yeah, our Slavic parents didn't pay for expensive stuff. I remember. Yeah. Sure. I remember like the youth gatherings. You have this huge bucket of instant coffee. <laughs> oh, we still have and it. sugar. <laughs> same bucket. And you just go. <laughs> same, same bucket you saw years from, ago from five years ago. <laughs> Powdered sugar, you know. Yeah, and um, and so my question was to everybody here, and I think this would be an awesome opening to our. Uh, conversation night but it has nothing to do with our conversation um is uh who what is the what is the best way to have coffee and what do you prefer and so to get things going i think i'll just kind of slowly uh roll into this from my point of view so um i have gotten more picky about coffee the more i got interested into it and i think to person the person to thank for that is Mark here because he, <laughs> he like I got I got my first starter espresso machine like years ago on eBay because I knew nothing about coffee, and so um, this was even I think this was before I even met met Mark here or met a lot of guys that did like coffee but I just got one I'm like this looks cool I want to see why it's expensive I mean to me three hundred bucks for a used coffee machine was expensive so I paid for it and got it shipped to my house and then I'm like. It had like I still remember. <laughs> it had three buttons on it and like a knob, and I was like, "All right, I got to figure out what to do here." And so, um, unfortunately, I had to realize that I don't have a grinder, so now I had to go get a grinder somewhere. And so um, that's where my day started, and I made probably not even that good of espresso. Well, I don't know, like if this was you, I know it was one of my relatives for sure, but I think maybe even you where they would reuse the grinds in the espresso. No, I didn't no. do that. Okay. No. Um, there are some people that were just like <laughs> you get they get a um, they, would press, they get a cup and they keep pressing the espresso button until they get a, like a americano. Oh, no. No. <laughs> I never did That's that. That's a bad thing. If I it, actually it, YouTube no, just for 15 minutes understands. I'm like, yeah, I had to I, I YouTube it for 15 minutes. I'm like, "All right, where is the basics of this thing?" And so I made like a few lattes 
after after you have like five six lattes i didn't realize how deep of a conversation this, this is because i'm starting thinking of what i want to say and i go like <laughs> way back yep. go ahead um, after five or six lattes drip coffee is just not the same anymore and so i remember we had this nice drip drip coffee machine and then uh we had this like old little espresso machine after i had the espresso machine i was like i'd look at the drip coffee machine i'd be like I'm never using you again. (laughs) (laughs) And then from there, like I met Mark and Mark kind of came in, came into my coffee life and he was like, you're doing this wrong. This is, this is not how you do it. And I was like, teach me. And so I think from there, Mark showed me a few tricks and I realized like I need a better machine. So then I got myself a better machine and then used that for a while. And I realized this machine ain't that good. And so <laughs> I decided to get even a better one. And I think now with, with that, I've become um, a little bit more picky, but I, I try my best not Snobbish. to be a snob because I'm still kind of open. Like I'm, I'm open. Like I'll come to Laurel mm. and they have the drip You'll coffee there. I'll drink pain. it. Calling them out by name. Yeah. It's Duncan. It's bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, and so I, I, I mean, I'm drinking, I, I drink coffee anytime, anywhere. And I, at work, it's difficult for me to make my perfect espresso. So I drink, drink drip coffee there. So I am open to, to different coffee. Um, but I have like at home, if I'm making myself my own, I will take the time, make it right and, and enjoy it. Yeah. And then you got coffee shops too. It's like, what is the best, right? Do you like Dunkin' Donuts? Dunkin' Donuts is no, the best, right? No. Um, there's it's a donut <laughs> shop, not a coffee shop. <laughs> it's uh, donuts, so. coffee flavored water. <laughs> and, um, you got Starbucks and Starbucks is like, you know, a little overrated in my opinion. And then you got, you got you know, caribou's and you got your Seattle's best and then all of these like weird, but I've gotten into local coffee shops. I think Mark and I probably share, you know, not just coffee is like one of our favorite, my wife and I, we love, we, we have to stop by at least once when we go uptown. Um, and then there's, there's just like the, the world of coffee is actually like really diverse. There's so much yeah. of all kinds, which I'm sure I'll hear about it today. Anyone else want to comment before I? I know you have even? three hours to talk about. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Mark's favorite topic. <laughs> Not really, but I enjoy a good cup of coffee. But I don't know. I I think there's a little bit of overhype in it. A little bit. Do you think the effort's not worth it? I for sure that. For sure. The coffee might taste better, and I, I'm not going to argue that part of it. Too much because, work. Because quality is quality. Like, it's just, that's just true. It is. But as far as, like, the effort and, and the, what you're going through to get that cup of coffee, I don't know if it's worth it. It's I'm like, the kind of person, sorry, I'm the kind of person, I really enjoy a good cup of coffee. I really do. But to me, like, a good cup of coffee has to be, like, a whole, like, thing has to be happening. I have to be relaxing. I can't have anything on my mind. To me, like when I sit down and have a good cup of coffee, it has to be like a mood set where I can sit down and just like enjoy my coffee. That's like like an addict. Taking the next level. (laughs) But I just enjoy a good cup of coffee and you're like, but for me though, nine times out of 10, that's not the case. And I just, whatever I have, I grab it and I go, you know, I, I try to pick better stuff as far as like for my drip coffee, you know, but if I'm like on a road trip and I stop by QT and I don't have like time to make an espresso, <laughs> I'll have some QT coffee if it's like 3 a.m. and I'm on a road trip. Yes, I will. I know I'm a trashy human, but who cares? 
said it yourself. <laughs> I just Mark gave me this nasty look, and I'm nah. <laughs> Serge, Serge is giving judgmental eyes, and I'm wondering if it's towards me or towards you. <laughs> hey, I'm more on his side than y'all's side. <laughs> Folgers? <laughs> no, not Folgers. I don't go down. It's, that, it's that all way. situational. <laughs> yeah, for me, exactly. It's more more of a situational thing. If I have the time to like sit down and relax, yeah, I'd prefer a nicer cup of coffee. If I'm gonna go, I don't really care. I guess whatever. So your I can wife get. is with you in a car, and she says she wants coffee. Are you going to QT or are you going to? Well, no. If it's like the middle of the day and we can go to a coffee shop, we're going to a coffee shop. No, we're going somewhere nice. My I'm man. saying like middle of the night. You're driving through who knows where on a road trip. Sure, I'll get something from QT. Mm. Sorry, <laughs> sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you're up next. Am I? He's right. You're next up to bat. Or is it Serge? <laughs> I'm going to be very similar to Mark, <laughs> but I will add this on. There was a time when I, I did want to get into the, the whole coffee espresso machine thing. I just couldn't convince myself to spend hundreds of dollars on the machine yet. Uh, hundreds? It's cheap. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Kind of coffee machine you buying? Well, I don't have hundreds of dollars <laughs> in my pockets, but... Um, I just, I know, I'm, I kind of want to get there eventually, have an espresso machine and dabble into that. But I just, I, I have, I guess, other priorities right now. <laughs> but when I, I did look up some videos and um, out of all the coffee experts that were questioned, like, but what, what is the best way to make a coffee? All of them said, all of them, without a doubt, as long as you have good quality beans or coffee, drip coffee is the way to go. Drip coffee is the way to it go. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish, but yes. Mm-hmm. Like if you're if you're specifically aiming for the taste of coffee, like the pull the best out of it, then drip coffee, yeah, for sure. If you do a pour over. Hundred percent. Pour over. I think that's uh Austin side of coffee, ain't it? Pour over is my favorite type of coffee. And I just have to I could go into the deep side of why, but I'll go back to this my first pour over that changed my life was in a little shop in Austin, Texas called Fleet Coffee. And I, up to that point, Marissa and I would go to local coffee shops wherever we go and I'd get the, the latte or the mocha and just try it. And it was always good, but I never got to the point where I just wanted the black coffee. I always had the, the Starbucks burnt taste in my mind when I thought yeah. of it. Yeah. And for so some throw reason, as much sugar and milk in as possible to kind of <laughs> yeah. We all it want out. them to taste the same, so if they all taste burnt, we're good. <laughs> That's Starbucks. But at Fleet, the guy said, "Hey, have you ever had this Ethiopian pour over?" And I was like, "You know what? Today's the day. I'm going to try it." And I sat down with this perfectly crafted mug in this. The coffee was the perfect temperature, and it changed flavors three to four times as it cooled. So wow. you had these notes of, uh, there was a citrus note at first, and then it, as it cooled, it became more, it had a gunpowder, tobacco-like flavor in it, and it just was completely different than anything I'd ever tasted before. <laughs> and I thought, I have not been doing this the right way. I'm going to start getting pour-overs wherever I go. So from then on, traveling around, it was just a life-changing moment. So now at home, I have all these different devices that I used to make pour over looks coffee. looks like a chem lab. Yeah, it does look like a chem lab. <laughs> now, I, I will say this. I love espresso and I love uh, lattes. I just didn't have the, the coins at the time to, to get a machine. So I kind of invested it more in the, the brewers. The gadgets. Yeah, the gadgets. Is pour over supposedly less acidic? I would say so. Would you agree, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. Because And it depends on how you extract. The whole, the whole point is the extraction process. 
Um, so if you do the pour over and you time it and you, you have to, there's a bunch of different things that you throw in. Um, and it also depends on the type of beans you have and you have to, there's a bunch of stuff that goes into it. Sounds like a science question. Too much. It, it, it's, much, it's like, there's it's, never an easy way. It's to either like it. a recipe, right? But it's not just like any recipe. It's like making souffle pancakes. The temperature has to be mm, on point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where it's like when you get it, when you, and I think it's, there's a, what do you call it? A curve of diminishing returns. The more precise you get it, you'll barely taste it. Like one, if you actually do a pro over it and you do at least the bare minimum, right? It's much better because um, you have the temperature control, but as well as you, ha- you control the flow of the coffee and the amount of water going in. Okay. Fusions. <laughs> Hold on, Mark didn't okay. go. Well, I just want to. Uh, you already said so much in between <laughs> every sentence that we said. I just want to say. His looks say so much. <laughs> All right. I'll try to be brief. I had a really good cup of coffee, kind of like what. Austin was saying, if you, anyone watched the movie Ratatouille, it's like the grape mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm, cheese, mm-hmm. you know, you start, you, it changes um, your perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went down this deep rabbit hole where I would hate people that went to Starbucks. <laughs> I became a complete snob. I would not hang out with people <laughs> that went to Starbucks. I looked down on them, thought they were trash. He's looking at me the whole time. He's saying, no, Gentiles. <laughs> and, and you, said you, thought, you, you gotta thinks. like, yeah, this is. <laughs> This is um, like right after I, uh, well, I've, God has been working in sanctific, uh, sanctifying me as a result. Um, so now, you know, I will suffer and just to enjoy the, it's like at, at some point it's like, if I know I'm going to Starbucks, I'll get a Starbucks or something. Um, but I won't, my, po- my purpose is not to drink it. Oh, first of all, I won't go by myself. The only reason I'll ever go is if it's like for someone and it's like, you know, you want to have a conversation with someone else. Someone's like, hey, come and grab, grab a coffee with me. So you'll go, you'll drink a coffee with them. And the point of drinking the coffee is just to just have this time together. Yeah, yeah. Socializing rather than um, it's the journey and not like, yeah. This Experience. Sounds, sounds more complicated than marriage. <laughs> <laughs> <You're describing. laughs> All right, but we can we can all agree on one thing though. People who buy extra caramel frappuccinos and call it it's not coffee and call themselves coffee addicts are the worst type. They're of sugar people. addicts. They're sugar, like that's, sugar that's, and caffeine addicts. We yeah. all agree on that one. That's not coffee. You forgot you guys, to mention that unicorn poop coffee. That exactly they the pink ones or whatever. Like that's a joke. That's that's a that's a smudge on the coffee industry. My wife, my wife was like playing a prank on me one day, and I had no clue she was even doing it. We went to a Starbucks and we're like in the drive-thru. That's probably the only time I have Starbucks is with my wife and when we're driving. But she's like, hey, I want the pinkity drinkity. Tell them. <laughs> and so, and so I, like, I'm not really on social media or anywhere. So I had no idea what that was. And I, I thought in my head, I'm like pretty, pretty legit name for a coffee shop. A to Starbucks me. drink. Yeah. So I pulled up and I, <laughs> I started my order with, Hey, I want a venti flat white, which is like the manliest drink you can get there. And she's like, anything else? And I'm like, yeah, I'll take a, 
venti pinkity drinkity and then there's like this silence and she's like just tells me the total and i'm like and my wife is just dying laughing and as soon as i saw her phone out i was like oh i've been set up <laughs> and she, like she was then making fun of me for the rest why of the haven't we seen this video yet oh man you will not see this video marina has to send it to us marina it doesn't matter it. i already threw it out to the public anyway so yeah the video exists um but Good luck seeing it. I do have a question for you guys. Have you been to Groundwork Common in Concord? No. no. You have to go to that shop. It's awesome. Groundwork Common? Groundwork Common. Where in Concord is that? Uh, I think it's all it's either Church Street or Grace Street. One of the. It's right off of the main main strip of Concord. Hmm. But it's awesome. There's also one called. Is it Redefined Coffee in Huntersville? It's pretty good. I think it's that's like not good. Not good. <laughs> I've only been once. <laughs> If you were there once and it was good, yes. consider yourself blessed. <laughs> they lack consistency. So I like came on you'll the good go, day. You'll go and one day it'll be good and then two days it'll be bad, like burnt bad. So Mark needs to go to Groundwork Common. And then, and then another day you'll be like, maybe if I, maybe I'll have some more grace in me. And then you yeah. go and it's good. Wrath. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, you should start leaving reviews just like that. But like, that'd be perfect. Somebody scrolling through and like, oh, this guy really didn't like this place. Just so everybody's clear. I have some, like, I'm sarcastic by nature. So sometimes I take things to the extreme, even in my commentary. I don't like truly hate people that drink starbucks yeah it's all but it was i i was at a point where i was probably close to that but (laughs) and and that's being honest but that was just you know the sin in me yeah uh, me thinking me my pride sticking out vlad has been trying to humble me recently Mm. so uh my pride was just you know hey i'm better than everyone else because i'm a coffee snob but i realized you know we're all sinners and we all need god's grace to some more than others though right especially especially me and paul (laughs) You see how serious coffee is? <laughs> Makes you think about your life. <laughs> Makes me not wanna. <laughs> the way Austin's cracking up and it's not very serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, coffee. Uh, well, I wanted to add this one last thing before we wrap up this topic, but I think um, you don't necessarily need an expensive machine right away. I think you can easily work up to it. And I th- I, like I said, I started with 200 bucks. And then um, what's cool about coffee machines is they actually hold their value very well. So if you already buy a used one and it's in really good shape and you just um, descale it, take care of it, you're able to sell it and pretty much make 90%. Change the gaskets on it. Yeah, you make 90% of your money back. Proper maintenance, yeah. And then you can just use that money to just put it towards the better one. And then, you know, three, four coffee machines later, you'll be, you'll be rocking it. But then you'll want Spending a new an hour one, a and you want a better coffee. one. Then you want a better one after that, and it just like never stops. But the 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 better the machine, the more work you're gonna put into your coffee. So until you have the really that four foot high one with the giant eagle on top. Yeah, the Vapiano uh-huh. or uh, I forget what it is. It's Some the of them, I think Vapiano's the restaurant. Yeah. Doesn't exist anymore, by the way. For real, they, they closed yeah. down. They changed yeah. their name. Changed the name. Oh. Man, what is it? I forget. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the In Coffee podcast. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It does not Sir, matter. Sir, was done with the subject like 20 minutes That was ago. a good ending. I like that. It's um, like the Ecclesiastes, you know, in the end, it's all vanity. Yeah. It'll all burn. There's a time to brew. That's it. <laughs> that too. 
Um, anyways, going into, we're excited to continue our Ephesians journey. And I think, um, I've, I've said this earlier, I think chapter four has been by far my favorite. Um, I was going to ask around the table, what, what do you guys think your favorite, uh, chapter or passage in Ephesians have been so far? Can't say chapter four. Cause I already said that one. Just kidding. I love chapter one. The opening of it is just, there's so much depth in it. Like we talked about it for hours, but I don't think we even got near to. We didn't scratch the surface. I think we scratched the surface, but it's like, yeah. It, it just Are you like, talking about the greeting? It was like the very first fourteen. <laughs> first one. Chapters. It's always Mark's favorite. Verse one, like chapter yep. verse three. Paul, an apostle huge. of Jesus Christ, mm. and will of God. Yeah, I remember you saying like how you had a little study on your mm-hmm. on your road trip. Yeah. And then for I think you were absent for one of the episodes, but we like You pretty much skyrocketed. <laughs> I literally start I went through like verses one through fourteen with you guys and I jumped in towards the end of chapter three. Yeah. I was out for a good minute there. Yeah, we had to uh we had to kind of progress through. Yeah. But you know, chapters two and three, uh three was I think a little bit more difficult in my opinion for me to fully grasp because, um, talking about, you know, the mystery revealed and the purpose of the mystery. Um, it was like, it, 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 it stuck to, you know, what, who Christ really is, but like painting him in this first, you know, first, um, the mystery was not revealed. So you had to think about that, you know, thinking, well, how was, was Christ not known or what was going on to where, um, people didn't understand or they didn't know. And so from there, it was like a little bit hard. But I think once we kind of understood the bigger picture of Ephesians in, in general, I think it helps you kind of wrap it all up. What about you, Mark? This whole, so far, the first three chapters of this book have been very, it seems like on one one end, it seems pretty simple because a lot of what Paul is doing here is kind of explaining the foundations to Gentiles, but on the other hand, you're like reading through it and he's so eloquently like writing this out, like the mystery of, of Christ, of, of everything basically. And, and yet I'm reading through it and it's just so hard for me to grasp, honestly, sometimes like it's, there's so much more that I know he could be writing or maybe like he specifically knew what I'm sure he knew what to write and what not to write, what to leave out. Cause obviously there's, there's more to say about the mystery than just one chapter. Like there's way more to say than just that. Mm. And yet reading through it, kind of like you're saying, you're reading through it and it's just so, it seems like he's explaining it so perfectly and he is. But on the, on the other hand, I feel kind of dumb almost reading it. Like I'm missing something here. Like there's so much more and you can tell there's so much to dive into when you read these passages. And that's that's kind of what we've been realizing that it seems on the surface level, if you just read through it real quick, it seems pretty surface level, just kind of faith. But as you get into it, you realize how much depth there is to what he's saying. Mm. I like the uh, passages where he talks about the knowledge. Uh, like, for example, in, in chapter one, he says, may, may uh, he give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Um, pretty much like knowing, understanding God. And he has the same appeal uh, towards God about the church in chapter three. We talked about it a couple of weeks back 
right? Where he says that I bow my knees before the Father, that you may be strengthened with the power of the Spirit, you know, knowing the breadth, the width, the depth, the height of his knowledge and comprehend it with the saints and all that. And it's funny because like the first three chapters, he talks about this great mystery, what Christ did, what he is and um, who God is and the grace and the faith and the salvation, and, you know, being sealed by the Spirit. And now he's like, and this is this starting chapter four, he's like, and this is what it means to live that out in mm-hmm. our lives, the reflection Agreed. of that. And um, like we talked about last week, we kind of touched on the topic of unity. And, and so, I mean, for me right now, it's a very prevalent topic. I, for me, like my favorite topics are situational based, depending mm-hmm. on what I'm currently going through in life. Like there's times that I was really- it just talks to you. I was really into Timothy and Titus for the longest time because, you know, like um, a couple of years back, I was really getting into like the whole preaching and teaching stuff. And I was really, really into that. And then like, you know, Things change, circumstances change, family, you know, whether it's the family through the church of work and circumstances change, and you, you just have different feelings toward different passages, I think, because of just what you're going through right now. So, yeah. Well, stuff. and a lot of what the first three chapters, again, because in the, the last three, he kind of goes into more of what to do with the knowledge that you gain. But a lot of what the first three chapters, to me personally, was kind of like complicated was that he didn't necessarily explain that well, like on a on a real life kind of situational basis, like you're saying, like he didn't really explain what to do. Like, you know, this one verse, uh, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow fellow heirs and the saints and members of the household of God, period. Like a lot of what he writes in chapters one, two, and three, you as a reader need to actively take that, what you read and actively try to apply it to your life or try to take the the logical lesson that he's trying to teach us there. And obviously that's something that nobody really wants to do that because it requires effort, but that's kind of what it needs to be. Like you need to take that lesson that he's portraying here, the thing that he's teaching them, and you as a reader need to actively think deeper into it and try to figure out, okay, well, what does this mean for my life? What do I actually have to do with this? these, these three chapters that he is teaching? Yeah, but I like even that passage that you're talking about, you have to understand who his target audience is um, in order for you to understand why the unity. What's his point? Like, what is he trying to say here? Who is he trying to say it to and what's going on? And we've already talked about it, that there were two different groups or cultural groups where you had the Jews um, and you had the Gentiles. And that's why there was this disparity or this, um, how do you say this? Division. Division between those two. And Paul's main focus is like, this is who you were. You guys were both sinners and you guys, and Christ died for your sins. You guys share so much in common that you don't even realize and you should abide in unity. And I, I think taking that perspective and then looking at it and be like, well, what differences do I have with other people as far as personal application? I don't think we just look at the words and say, oh, I have to apply this directly. We have to understand what his point is first and then grab that and take a lesson from it and see, can I actually apply this in my life? And if I can, you know, are there any instances where I may have a disconnect with someone or someone that maybe I think is different from me that I should probably look at, look past their differences and look specifically on the, what we read in chapter four, that we share one God, we share one faith, we share one baptism, all these things we share together. We are united in many more ways than we are actually divided. And that's all through Christ. 
I wasn't here last week, and Mark, you're kind of touching on chapter four. Can you maybe just a little bit more elaborate on what, what you guys talked about last week when you started chapter four so that we can kind of understand the context of what we're going to be reading today? Um, I think... You started I, touching on it. Yeah, we kind of discussed right now the first three chapters, again, going back, um, is that he was kind of laying down the foundation of what Christ has done for us. And then here, chapters four through six, is kind of like um, the daily walk of the Christian or specifically targeting the church at Ephesus at the time. Um, He's addressing maybe some of the issues, but also calling them um, in uh, order to do something. And one beautiful thing, like chapters one through three are absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. If like you're a Christian and you start looking at the way that Paul describes Christ and the different works that he's had, if you if your soul does not get moved, I don't know. You should probably check yourself out. Um, but here he goes on and he opens up verse or chapter four. He says, "I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling." This whole time he's been talking about like this calling and what God has done for us, and now he's saying, "I urge you, I desire that you sincerely walk in such a way." And he's actually trying to convince us to walk in such a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there. He, we have to keep in mind while we're reading chapters four through six, verse chapters one through three, so that way we can understand this is why we ought to be walking. It's not, um, it's not just because it's like a command or something, but no, it's more than that. It's because of what Christ has done for us. We should sincerely consider every word that we read going forward. And that's where he goes on and talks about this division. And he talks about how you guys should be united in one front, um, walking and he keeps hitting on it. And I love, um, verses four through five, where he starts going um, point after point. What chapter? Actually, five through six. Chapter four, five through Mm. six. He says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so he kind kind of hits this narrative. And, you know, when you study scripture, you're taught... Um, to always look for repetitive words because there's in the Jewish culture, there's always emphasis. And here Paul is going multiple times, repeating one, 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 um, bringing this up, which for me, like when I saw it it, from last week, I know you, um, you guys know that it's kind of changed my perspective. I've learned something new, even from the word one baptism, where it's, I never knew that this is exactly what it was talking about. I always thought it was talking about something else before. Yeah. Yeah, and as we as we move forward here, we're getting into um, uh, of a section of Ephesians four verses seven through sixteen, where um, this kind of broad overview of spiritual gifts and what it what it means to um, have the spiritual gifts as pertain to the unity uh, context that we have going on here, and I think um, you know each each section is kind of split up, so we see like verse seven. Um, we always bring this up, how the Bible verse starts, right? I think that's a big deal. Um, conjunction. Yeah, the conjunction. And so it, it, I'll read, um, actually, I'll have uh, Austin read verses 7 through 16 um, to, get us, to get us into the mindset of what we're going to talk about. Okay. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says... When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Austin, you read good. <laughs> yeah. I would listen to you read. Do you do audiobooks? <laughs> you should start a podcast. Sponsored by Audible. <laughs> um I like I like verse seven, this um starting out because if you like I said, like if you look at verses, you know, four and five, Mark brought this up saying um the word one, the repetitiveness of the word one, and it gets you kind of into that picture of um that total unity um in Christ. And then you start with verse seven and says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And it made me think right away um, that even though we are united, each one of us, we're different, we're different, right? Each one of us, um, Christ um, portions out like individually to every person, Mm -hmm. a gift. And so um, it doesn't, it's not just you guys will all do one thing. Yeah. Or in one way. You guys are united and you all do everything together. Right. There's still individuality, I think, when it comes from 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 um, from God. And that's kind of where I was seeing this verse 7 going. Yeah. Like you said, the conjunction in the verse, um, it begins with the word but. So it's if you take a look at it, it changes the perspective. Because up to this point, verses 1 through 6, he's talking about unity. And all of a sudden when he says but, he, he kind of says, okay, we're talking about unity, but each one of you is also individual. And not only are you also individual, even though we have one God, we uh, but the same one God gave to each one of you all these different gifts. Um, so it's like it changes the dynamic altogether on this topic. And I think we're going to get to it, but it closes up where even though we're all different, we work together. We still have right. to work together as one. The just because it changes, verses one through six don't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, his end goal is to explain how we're different, but we still have to accomplish what he first started with here in verses one through six. See, and I like that this is being actually pointed out because I'm. You guys are talking about this whole like he's acknowledging their differences. He's bringing up their differences, and even though they're following the same God, they have the same end game. They're, they're still different, and, and that's not a bad thing. And to me, I was, for some reason, I started thinking about different religions. And I, ha- I feel like with other religions, that's not the case. With other religions, they're, they kind of want there to be uniformity. Mm-hmm. You know, Buddhists kind of all want to look the same, act the same. Everyone's supposed to kind of fall under this umbrella of, of what they assume that is. You know, and, and I'm sure we could think of other examples. But to me, I don't know, personally, on a more... Like, are, you, are you saying like there's no religious freedom in other religions? There is for sure, but I just, I think it's mm-hmm. it's reassuring and it's encouraging that even though, yes, we're all under under God, there is room for us to be individuals. There's room for us to have our own talents and our own gifts. And of course, I'm, I'm talking about like 
in the church atmosphere in, in a spiritual sense, there is room for us to be different. And that's important for us to know that because sometimes people are just good at different things, you know, and, and we need to understand for us to truly function well as a, as a congregation, you need to understand that other people have different gifts. They have different talents. God is using them in different ways. And it's not your job to correct them or, or tell them what God has blessed them with. It's your job to encourage them to find that thing that God has given them and, and just be a light to them. Because at, again, at the end of the day, we're all going towards the same thing where we're trying to strive for the same goal. I love how you bring that up, that the comparison with the different religions. And I started thinking they are all trying to, well, in, in the religion, how do you progress in a religion as far as getting to the top, to the head? You know, it's all works-based, right? You have mm -hmm. to earn a certain status amongst um, your peers. You have to start working towards this progress. Whereas here, and I'm not saying like it's an outright immediate, but what's given to us are gifts. So, and also it's given to us by grace and it's not something that we earn or attain. It's a calling that we have right. and you can see it. And it doesn't mean like if you have, if you know, and other people around you know that you have a calling to be a pastor, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden they're like, all right, Alex, you're a pastor. I see a calling in you. You're going for it without any training, without any biblical knowledge. Like say you're a newborn babe in Christ. They can see that, but obviously we still have wisdom and understanding where um, you'll be growing into that role. Uh, but it's clear and evident where I think the gifts are given and they are decided by God. Um, and again, it's given by his grace. Maybe there's more that we wanted to talk about. I just kind of jumped in there. <laughs> well, it connects very well with humility because Paul also says in another passage, what do you have that you have not also received? Mm -hmm. So we come into these gifts and we don't think, okay, not only are we talking about not being in uniformity to a gift, but not expecting everyone else to be equally gift in the way that God has chosen to gift someone. So I, I, we see that a lot, I think, in, in pastoral ministry in general. There are pastors, some of whom are gifted incredibly at speaking and expounding the scriptures, and I think there should be a level of gifting in teaching across the board. It's a qualification that Paul gives out. But there are some pastors who are exceptionally gifted in their ability to relate to people. Mm -hmm. They just, you can just tell that they emanate a love for people that in others, maybe they emanate a, a, a talent for applying the word of God from the pulpit, but they really have to work hard at surrounding themselves with other people who can help step in with that miss, not missing, but mm -hmm. the part of the body that will love in a way that maybe one person is not gifted completely mm -hmm. with. Because yeah. Jesus is the only one with all the gifts. Right. Right. I remember listening to Paul Washer. Somebody asked him and his uh, one of his missionary friends that he went on missions with, um, it, they said, if God could give you one gift, what would it be? And then his friend said, love. I want to love people because that's where it all comes from. That's mm -hmm. the foundation. Yeah. Right. And kind of like, like you said, I think a pastor has to lo love the sh flock that he uh, shepherds. Yeah. I have a question for everybody feel free to speak out on it, but have you ever looked at a person who is um, just a worldly person, a person that doesn't follow Christ, but they have an amazing talent or an amazing gift? Have you ever looked at that person while they're performing their gift and thought, man, if only they turn to Christ and use that to, you know, to further um, the, further the, 
the grace of God, you know, to others and spread the message. You ever thought about that? Is that even, is that even a right thing to think? Do you think that if a person was saved, like he'd be different? I'll save my commentary for later. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> you guys first. <laughs> I'm very interested in that topic because I'm, I'm thinking of it now because I've thought about this, especially in the recent days with Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. He's a name that he seems to be so close. Like He was even on a, a podcast recently with Joe Rogan talking about the Bible. And one of the things that he said, and if you know Jordan Peterson all at all in the psychological world and the psychiatry, he gets to this point where he said, it's not just that the Bible is true. He said that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're almost that's a, there. Yeah, like, that's a pretty bold like, statement. Like, <laughs> for him to be that close to say that every true thought finds its origin in Scripture, which finds its origin in the Word, the second person of the mm-hmm. Trinity, he's like he's one step removed yeah. from bowing the knee to I've, Christ. Like I've heard um, some of his uh, lectures, and he does bring up the Bible a few times, and I was wondering, is he a believer? But then you listen to some of his thoughts and opinions, and you could tell that they're still secular. Right. Um, so he's still, uh, he, he roots, I think, a lot of maybe some of his thoughts in Bible, and he uses it like a book of philosophy. Yep. Um, but Archetype, not as, type. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought that recently is like, oh man, can you imagine what God could do with that person? But I think that's true of, of every human being. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you look at someone, there are people throughout history who have been uniquely gifted by God. But when we say uniquely gifted, we mean that God has given them that gift, not that they somehow, as an unbeliever, have this gift without God's power. It's a gift of God's common grace. See, I like, I get what your where your mind went, and I like I understand what you're thinking. Like, man, these these secular people. If only you could use, if only what's her face singer could use that voice for God's if only glory. Lady Gaga sang. But at the in my opinion, where my mind <laughs> kind of races singer. is more. I'm sitting in a congregation and I see people all around me with gifts. Why are they not being motivated and encouraged to use those gifts? Uh To me, that's more heartbreaking to see that we are all, we have gifts in Christ to see, sorry to go here, but to see pastors, to see leaders, Christian leaders, not encourage their people to, to push their people to, and like, I don't know, to teach them, to give them the, give them the resources to maximize those gifts. To me, that's worse. You're going into the Romans 12 realm. I, I, Mark, I like it because you softened the blow of my initial <laughs> thought. I figured that's somewhere you were going. No, I was going along the lines of like, that's a thought that Judas had when he saw, you know, the uh, vase being broken. And he said, this money could have been used for something else. But I, I know that's technically in context, it was still used to glorify Christ. But I was just thinking, like, we shouldn't focus on other people but ourselves initially. But sometimes you know the I mean? thoughts cross your head. I mean, like, you see somebody with a great voice, like, singing, you know? Um, although, like, I don't know. I couldn't say, like, oh, man, you should take that singing and go sing at a, at a church. Um, singing is singing, but is like, if you use that talent, people will be like, wow, that's, that's great. And then you use it to glorify God. I mean, that's like, I always picture as God can take you and really take you and, and have, make you such a useful, you know, it's the most Christian thought ever to say that a fallen, broken vessel, if restored, could be better. Could be, yeah. Right? Could be. Say that it could be more glorifying to God, even as glorifying to God as it already is. Restored in Christ could be even 
better and not in like a selfish, proud way, but as a, even the, even the creation of the earth groans for the final resurrection. We're, we're groaning for restoration in Christ. And so to see someone, Mark probably looks at like a rapper and he thinks, man, you could write some good poems. <laughs> Christ. I look at I a good barista and I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Sanctify so, the Sometimes beans. I like, I'll look at someone and I'll listen to them. And it's not like you could do so much more for God, but it's just my own uh, selfish desire. I was like, man, I wish I could sing like that. <laughs> you know, like I, I wish I could. And I was like, Mark, you, you just got to put some time in. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm too lazy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a you problem. It is it's all me. Okay. Okay. We're I, doing great guys. Verse seven. We just, okay. I'm, I'm moving in, us so. forward. I really like this topic. <laughs> and to me personally, I'm reading this, this short passage that we read and I have no idea what eight, nine and 10 is doing here to me. I feel like this is completely random and I'm really happy that Mark is here, that Austin's here, that Serge is here, that Alex here, guys who are all smarter than me because I honestly, I'm not even just exaggerating. I really have no idea what this has to do with the topic we just talked about. Verse eight, nine and 10. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. I have, I'm honestly really confused going up, going down. What, what is, what is the context here? What is this talking about? So I think initially we'd have to say that Paul is trying to stress the point that what Christ has done in giving gifts is not something disconnected from what the old Testament already promises. So he first of all says, so yes, you've received a gift of grace from Christ. What authority does Christ have by giving you those gifts? And he founds that in the Old Testament passage we see here, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Well, how can the Son of God ascend on high? Well, first, before he can ascend on high, he has to, to descend. So he almost follows his, his train of argument of how can the Old Testament passage be talking about Jesus if the Son of God can't get any higher than heaven, well, he first descends in order to ascend, and so as he ascends, he gives gifts to men. So I would say he's he's basing his argument for why the church has spiritual gifts in the fact that God is not doing something completely new in the promise, but he's fulfilling the promise that has already been given in the Old Testament. Would you guys add, add to that, poke holes in it? Um, I just wanted to get in a little bit, ascend and descend. So if we look at uh, spiritually talking here, or scripturally, I should say, so when we see descend, are we, what are we talking about here? Can I say something? No, unless it has to do with ascend, descend. It, it does. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like, I like how Austin immediately kind of started to explain it. And I was like, but that's later on. Why are you, why are you explaining <laughs> verse eight? <laughs> like, why are you jumping in verses nine and 10? Right. See, at this point, I put my Bible down and I'm just listening. I might <laughs> no. as well be a listener of this podcast. <laughs> no, but like that, that makes sense though, because verse, um, what are we reading? Verse eight, Paul quotes exactly, exactly like what Austin said. It's an old Testament. And then we see Psalm 68. Yeah. And then we see in verse nine and 10, we don't have to decipher it and try to figure out what it says. Paul does it for us because he, he quotes it first. 
and then he starts to uh, explain it. So maybe we can look at it, um, verse 8 um, and verses 9 and 10 side by side and just go through it, like you said, ascending and descending, and he explains it all, I think, pretty clearly. Yeah. Um, just to start off, I think to cover the descent part of it, um, some of the thoughts I had going through my head, well, yes, if if Christ ascend on high, he has to descend first. And so he has to um, ascend from somewhere. He was already on high. Right. So he, how can he ascend if he was already on high? So he actually had to descend first. And that's what he's saying here in verse nine. In yeah. saying he ascended, how can he ascend if he if he's not at a lower position to begin with? So he first had to descend from where he was. Would you guys agree to say that the descent, the descent was um, Christ being born among us and walking among his creation. Not completely. I'd say it also encompasses the death, his death mm-hmm. on the cross, yeah. which is the ultimate moment mm. of descent. If you talk about lower depths as a literal physical um, descension, not only did he descend and was born of a woman, uh, but he also descended into the earth as far as his body was buried. Ah, wow. Yeah. Didn't think about that. Because it says, okay. you're right, because it says descend into the lower parts of the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only did he descend onto the earth, but into the but earth. But if he was buried in a cave, that's not like... It's technically part of the earth. Part of the earth. It's not well, there's earth. earth on top of it, so <laughs> don't get don't get smart with us. <laughs> Serge, Serge, Serge hasn't said anything on podcast. <laughs> no, I am, talk. I'm just doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to speak <laughs> at all to the different interpretations of, of that passage, or do you want to save that for another I time? just want to go back to what Mark said. I humbly agree with your statement about coffee, us being smarter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, humble I, brag. <laughs> um, just kidding. Gentle and lowly. Now, I, I agree with you guys saying that this, this clearly speaks of his incarnation, his death, and the ascension with being his resurrecting and God putting everything under his foot, feet. So, yeah, I definitely... So this whole, these three verses, you were kind of hinting at this, Austin. These three verses is, are we being given these this passage as like further proof as to why we have these gifts? Like, are we almost kind of giving giving qualification to Christ to be able to even provide these? What's going on here? It's the connection between the fact that this is already foretold. Christ is fulfilling something that God had already promised that he was going mm-hmm. to do. So it's it's not as if Christ has to prove his authority in that sense as much as it is. Look at the way that the Trinity has planned this thing out. Mm-hmm. Christ is not doing something new in the sense that God changed up his plan, but that this was from the beginning what... The Trinity was planning to do. So he's explaining to these Gentiles. He's like, guys, this is nothing new. This has kind of always been the case. Well, you guys are just now getting into this, right? And maybe this, maybe this portion would have just caused the Jewish reader to go, oh light yeah, bulb. Again, yeah, yeah, light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think Christ does not need us to like um, somehow approve or prove that he is worthy. We know that he is, but I think here's Paul. Paul's point is. He brings up a passage, but then he explains exactly, I think, first of all, he's saying this passage is actually talking about Christ because he was the one who descended first and then also ascended. So it's actually talking about Christ. And like you said, for the Jewish leader or reader, that would be like a almost like a light bulb or a euphor- euphoria moment. Um, 
And I think he just goes into further explaining my thought point, my thought process is if this was common knowledge, he would not need to explain it. He brought up the verse. Why did he question is why did he bring up his, the verse? What's his ultimate reason or point that he's trying to get across? And then why does he explain it the way that he does? I think, um, because in verse, in verse 10, he kind of finishes with this statement, right? It says he might fill in, he might fill all things. He, he speaking of Christ. And so describing that ascension, that dissension, now he's saying that Christ fulfilled everything that was supposed to be fulfilled. And that's why Austin, you said earlier, Christ is, um, has the power of all the gifts, right? Mm ultimately. And so his ascension, his dissension, his completion of the prophecy is ultimately, um, the reason, uh, that we can receive gifts from him. Amen. Pretty much. I, that's how I see it. Can we look at the verse in context, the, uh, Psalm 68? Ooh, you want to look, no, I just want to look, look at, at Psalm 68. Like, I just want to, <laughs> yeah. I want to see kind of the context. Maybe it might not be worth going into too much depth. Because I think it was after a battle from, from what I understand, yeah. it was after one of David's um, battles, but it talks a little bit about the triumph, mm -hmm. right? And how Christ is ultimately the triumph. And, and, and I think it's verse 18 actually, where this is taken from. Psalms. And I, I hope this doesn't like lead us too far astray from what Paul is trying to say. I think you can tell that it's like a war procession from verse 17. So if you look at mm -hmm. Psalm 68, verse 17, and earlier on, I think it mentions about a war and a battle. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men and among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. So like you said, I think it is a battle, but it's also a, it's almost like a victory. Um, it's returning from war with the spoils of war. Mm. That's what the captives were. And that's what the gifts were, at least from the context of the Psalm. So it's amazing that it makes perfect sense. It does. But also if you think about it, like the battle was won, Christ died, yep. he resurrected, he won the war. Um, and as a result, he now has this power and authority that's granted upon him by the father. And he uh, shares with his disciples as far as gifts go. Because in, in the Psalm, he receives them first. Yeah. And then gives them in, in Paul's point here. Interesting. Maybe that might be like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. there's a thought there. Um, but I don't want us to kind of go too far astray from like, is this really what, like a perfect representation of Christ being in war, but it's something that could be um, from the Old Testament. And then I think he is here talking about gifts because he mentions it multiple times, even in the verse that he quotes, and he gave gifts to men. Hmm. And what are the gifts that he has given according to this passage? Are we continuing to 11? Let's go. <laughs> um, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit on verse 11 because, uh, in, uh, at least in my, in my lifetime that I've been in my Christian life, I've always, even personally, made the mistake of trying to understand or when I would describe to somebody who doesn't really know the Bible, I try to describe and I oftentimes would confuse, you know, apostle and prophet and evangelists. And so like 
a lot of times it's good to think about what actually those different gifts mean. And I think in this context, in reading what what is written here, we have to try to kind of wrap our minds real quick around, well, what is an apostle? What is a prophet? What is an evangelist? What is a pastor? And why um, why they are different in their ways and why they are um, ultimately very important to the New Testament, right? And so I gathered some notes from different sources um, just to kind of help me wrap my hand around. And I'll make this really quick, but feel free to join in. For, for an apostle... Um, I, I noticed some things. Um, I know uh, MacArthur noticed in some of, noted in some of his notes that apostles were those who seen Christ risen. And so there's a select few who have seen Christ risen. And um, I think Acts chapter 1, verses 22 talks about that. Uh, Matthias being included because he replaced, ultimately he replaced Judah. And so also though, Paul was an apostle as well because ultimately he seen Christ as well after he was risen, because he encountered Jesus, right? And so um, something to stress is they were chosen by Christ and they have seen Christ risen. So that's who, that's the definition of who an apostle was. Now, what does an apostle do? Um, Also, apostles, they had three tasks that you could kind of like, you know, mention that kind of covered what they did. So number one was um, lay the foundation of the church. That was what an apostle did. Number two is they would receive, declare, and write God's word. And number three is they give confirmation through signs and wonders of God's word. And so when you wrap those three things, you can understand what an apostle did. Um, And then moving forward, prophet, same thing. I think those two are sometimes confused. Um, A prophet was specifically commissioned men in the early church. So um, some things to note is they were exclusive for the work in the local congregation. Um, what they usually did was they spoke, they spoke direct revelation to the church, but also they expounded on revelation already given. And so uh, prophets were also uh, known to be very important to the New Testament, um, to the foundation, to the, to the starting of the church. Um, and then you have mentioned two more evangelists, um, I think very, very important for us to know what an evangelist really is, is uh, men who proclaim the good news of salvation. And so um, I think it's, it's a very not important getting gift. in a trailer and going around and... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, but then pastors and teachers, that was a little bit more of a difficult one, I think, to kind of grasp because you, um, I think, I think you have to kind of look at uh, the Greek word of and when it talks about pastors and teachers, and you can go into a lot more detail in that, but looking at it is just a single office of leadership in the church. And so um, what does a pastor do? He is ultimately a shepherd, right? And he's a teacher. And so he is under Jesus. That's the most important thing. Um, and also, you know, some terms for the church is elder and bishop. And um, I know from the Slavic culture, we use more of like an elder. Um, that's who we usually like the, the leadership of the church is the elders. And so um, that's kind of some things to wrap your head around as you, as you kind of read through those gifts. I wanted to make mention that he actually brings up um, in chapter three, he says, verse seven, of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me 
given me by the working of his power. So he, he brings it up even before he mentions it in four, that it was God's gift um, and it was uh, given to him and it was not something that he attained or achieved. Okay, so as a naive reader, I read this passage and I'm, what am I supposed to do with this information? Am I supposed to just kind of figure out which one of these is me? It's my job to try to figure out why he's talk, talking to these random people about this <clears throat> is, am I supposed to go to my local pastor and be like, Hey pastor, which one of these am I? What, what am I supposed to do with, with this information? Cause I know that this passage has been used in that way where it's almost like, all right, figure out which one you are. And I guess that's, you know, that's kind of God's thing for you. I think it's to understand the importance of the gifts. Um, because ultimately these, these gifts, although different, they, um, the picture is painted here to bring this unity. And so in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So you see these different gifts and we went over them. What an apostle is a prophet an evangelist. Um, this is covered and why is it there? It's to basically lead Christians from sin. I love that. Like it's a gift. Usually you think of a gift where it, uh, you give a gift to someone and it gives them happiness, but no one else. Whereas here, God gives a gift to someone to equip, but yeah. that gift actually blesses so many more people. And as a result, they grow, they get equipped, they get to grow in strength. And this gift is not meant to be hoarded or kept or like, you know, you put it on your little shelf. Oh, I got this gift from God. No, it's supposed to be like, God gave you this gift and you should have this like mindset of what a privilege can I use this gift to actually share with other people and go full forth with it. Because the gift is not meant for you, but it's actually meant right. for others. Yeah, for the work of the ministry. And if you keep reading, you know, verse 12, it says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I had a thought. And this is something that I read a long time ago. I haven't really gone back and kind of dug deep into it. But I was reading First Corinthians, um, and he he kind of goes on back and forth about this division that they had, uh, especially he nails it in chapter three, talking about some people saying, I am from Apollos, I am from Paul. Um, and there was this division amongst people. And then at the end of chapter three, he kind of writes this beautiful verse, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And so he says, everything, at least from how I interpret it, all things, um, all teachers that we have, everyone that's come to us, it's all ours. It's all meant for us from Christ or from God for us to get an understanding of him. Even life and death, everything that goes on, um, we should look at it as a viewpoint because we have to, uh, have to have an understanding that God is sovereign and he has a, a control in our life. Um, and so just even looking from that viewpoint or from that lens, we get to see that um, how Christ is doing so much in order so that we may grow in him. And that I think that was kind of his point here where Paul doesn't matter. Apollos doesn't matter. It's all God's word. Paul planted, sure, Apollos watered, but it's that's not what gave increase. It was God that gave increase in First Corinthians 3. And I think here is a similar principle where these people have gifts, but the gifts are not meant for themselves. And I'm again, I'm kind of like repeating the point, but it was just such a beautiful example from first Corinthians three, where it's meant specifically for the congregation or for the saints. 
Is there um, the gifts? Do you think one is more important than the other? I think, I think thinking of. <laughs> I think thinking serious of serious question. I know it's, it's a smile. Yeah. No, That's I know why we're seriously serious thinking. Uh, it's just like I want to say one thing, but then I'm like, wait, I know this is surge. Yeah. It, it might be like, be like really, <laughs> prove it. <laughs> well, like, would you say? Um, would you say that if it's working towards? the um, equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, wouldn't you say that even though they're all different, we're all working towards the same purpose? So it would make them just as important. I think it's like members of of the body, right? Same, Same concept. You could be a greeter, you know, at the beginning of church when people walk in, you could be the guy that brings the cup of water to the pulpit, mm-hmm. but you do it consistently and properly. And then um, you're still you're still doing a part of the ministry. Your little effort or big effort, no matter what you're doing, still is the edifying of the saints and the work of the ministry. Yeah, I love that example because Paul brings it up multiple times where he says like you even you pay attention and you give honor or glory more to, to a part that's less worthy or like, you know what I mean? You elevate one part of the body and diminish another when we all work for Christ. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we want to say that there are certain functions that are more important, mm-hmm. you might say. Uh, a good example of this would be the frustration that was happening with the widows being neglected in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And the apostles say, it is not good for us to neglect the word and prayer to serve tables. It wasn't that serving tables and serving the widows was not important. It was that in their gifting and in their context and the important role that God had for them to play, it was worse for them to divide themselves among all these different responsibilities rather than focusing on the primacy of the word and prayer. I think we would all agree, no matter what the office or the gift is, if the word is not accurately taught, it, it is if it's not the word is the head, Christ is the head, mm-hmm. but if the word is not accurately taught, you have a body not doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So we would be careful to say that they are not, one is not less, uh, not equal in a qualitative sense, mm-hmm. but maybe equal they're not equal in function. Mm-hmm. Some things are more priorities than others. You might say another way to put it might be one is downstream from the other. Because the word is being appropriately taught and the people are being appropriately shepherded, they can equ- they can be equipped to do the work that they're called. Would you say doing doing one of them wrong could cause more damage yes, than the other? Certainly. Yeah, I word, see it Word-based ministry done wrong is a harmful thing on all the gifts, mm. all of them. I want to use the body analogy, but I'm kind of afraid to. Like, I want to say you can live without an arm, but you can't live without a head. You know what I mean? At least as from from that perspective. But and yeah, if I, your head isn't if your head is incorrect in the word, rather, it could rather, cause harm to all your body. Yeah, rather live with no arms. But, but I can't with, say my hand. I don't need you. Which is yeah. what the argument is. It I think believe it's Paul yeah. that says that again. It's like I can't look at the hand and say I have no need of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how are you going to wash dishes? You know, you just. <laughs> it's not gonna work very well. So yeah. get married. I wanna I wanna go Sorry. back. Sorry. Sorry, I had to. Sorry. <laughs> Babe, if you're listening to this, I love you. I totally She's not. It's I'm, okay. I'm allowed to say that because I wash the dishes, honestly. I love washing dishes. Yeah. Seriously. Come to my house. I'll remember. Uh, I have a dishwasher. <laughs> um, my wife. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Waiting See, that, that was too I far. Was that was trying too far. to avoid that, but no, oh, come on. To. You guys know that's not the case. Does she know that's not the case? Max, yes. you could edit that out. 
No, he's going to leave it. Um, I want to piggyback off what you said about in terms of what uh, Peter was saying. Um, was it X six or seven? Mm-hmm. Um, about them saying that it was more important for them to continue in the word than to help with the tables and the widows um, being neglected. So does that mean that modern day pastors, elders, certain jobs that they should not be doing just because they're in that type of office? Like, for example, setting up tables in the gym for a party or something like that. It's not about whether or not they, they couldn't or should. It's about what the church believes they are called by God to do. If they are called by God to be a pastor of the church, that doesn't mean they need to be separate from the body in like an ivory tower, pouring over, you know, 70 hours a week, not necessarily, but it's about what each individual situation can provide. I think it's also in the realm of possibility too. Right. Like even look at Lakeside. Yeah. My pastor, his responsibilities overlap because we're, we're kind of a small congregation. Right. I think the ideal way would be for him to shepherd and to teach focus on that um, and not worry about doing kids ministry, not worry about doing music ministry and getting the PowerPoint and the setup ready for, there's a lot of work that he does and he, he sacrifices a lot of his time for it. It could have be probably better used in shepherding the flock as well as getting the word ready and better prepped. I'm not saying he's poorly prepped. No, I love his sermons, but that's why, because of the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Exactly. So it's not, should the pastor not be setting tables? It's what there is someone with the gift Mm-hmm. who's just waiting on the opportunity to be able to serve the Lord and doing that. It's not from an attitude of laziness, like, oh, I'm too good to set up a table. Or I, yeah. Man, it's not that this at all. This is my it's, calling. Right. It's <laughs> who is it in your church right now whom God has placed there in the part of the body to do those things for his service? And who can you train to do that? Good answer. Is that helpful? Yeah, yeah. no, that's definitely helpful. But in, in modern terms, you would call that delegation. Yeah, yeah, delegation. But I think Christ also gave the perfect example when he washed the feet, yeah. right? He said, this is the dirtiest job and you should be ready for it if you want to lead. Right. I, I don't think that's the mindset that you should approach to. But if you have the possibility or the ability and the looking for the other word. Opportunity. Opportunity. Perfect. Mind reader. <laughs> opportunity to do so, then go for it, you know, as long as nothing's, and things will work out better rather than you, like, because even me at work, if I do 20 things at once, 20 things won't get done. You know what I mean? Because it's like, I'll do a little bit here, a little bit here, like half the projects won't even ever be completed as a result to keep talking. A perfect example, I think, is Moses and how his father-in-law came and told him, hey, you're too busy. You need people to help. Yeah, and as we keep going, um, we see here that the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, and verse 13 starts with, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the acknowledge and, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue, stature of the fullness of Christ. And so just to pause there real quick, um, there's two lines that stood out to me. Um, what is the unity of faith? and the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so when I was kind of gathering my thoughts here, I saw that unity of faith, it's talking about um, that unity of faith is only going to be possible through what? Truth and proper doctrine. Would you guys agree? And through love and through sanctification. Mm -hmm. 
because he talked about earlier on in the in the uh, same chapter how we ought to be peaceable, how we ought to be loving towards one another. And you can't just do that with knowledge. God has to work in your heart. You know, sanctification is huge in a Christian's walk. Yeah, and when we, we, we have to put together the stature of fullness of Christ as well because um, we have to strive to be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what God wants us to do. And I yep. think that if we strive to be like Jesus, we will have the unity of faith and we will work towards it and it will be possible. It will be possible and we have to, but we have to also focus on the truth. I, I love how you mentioned that. And one key word is all. Um, and I didn't want to diminish what you said about a proper understanding of God or knowledge. I think you know that I, from the conversations we had, I believe every Christian should take the uh, hermeneutics, learn yep. how to study the Bible, and as well as take time in their word to learn who God is. Uh, we ha- we even had this conversation. Um, the more you know God, the more you love him. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the more you'll also be sanctified as a result of scripture, because that's what um, sanctifies us. It's God through scripture. So it, there's just so many things. And I, I think a lot of Christians overlook that and they kind of focus and pray and they, th- they hear a sermon, how you have to be more loving or you have to be more gentle. And instead of going into the word, they start praying and fasting and thinking, I need to be more humble. I need to be more gentle uh, without looking into the word. Yeah. And I think this is all important. I think verse 13 is very important. Why? Because um, in verse 14, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. I think that's an ultimate, that's an ultimate kind of danger that's out there. I think it's presently out there today. Um, We see it in, in all different kinds of things. And if, if we don't have the unity of faith, and we don't strive to have the stature of the fullness of Christ, we might end up being, find ourselves being, you know, tossed to and fro. We're, we're looking at different doctrines. We're debating about uh, things that are, you know, not Christ relevant at all. And we're having these situations where we're uh, having scruples between people. But it also says by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceit plotting. So ultimately that's what, that's what we, um, encounter or we might see is that trickery, right? The trickery of men, because uh, it all comes from our sinful nature. And so there's a lot of deception out there, a lot of deception out there. And I think what Paul's trying to say here is that we should strive for the unity. We should think about the gifts. We should use the gifts properly because the danger is out there. Uh, The craftiness, the deceit, it's all out there. In verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I feel like, and I know we bring this up all the time, but I think this passage might be a perfect example of kind of the mindset we had with starting this podcast. Because what what we're reading here is so true. And you're, you, you were saying, oh, this is something that is is very true today. This was written how many thousands of years ago? Like how old is this, is this text? And yet it was so true then, and it is just as true today. And if God willing, if this earth lasts another thousand years, it'll be true in a thousand years. And that's exactly why we keep saying the same exact thing on this podcast, that it's so important for you, the individual, to have a personal relationship with Christ, void of any sort of pastor, any sort of church, any sort of congregation, you personally need to have that relationship because this is what this world has to offer. Deceitful plotting, sinful men, people who are trying to bring you down. And the truth is, 
If you are not personally diving into God's word and learning, you will be fooled 100%. Because as he, as he writes here, they are cunning. They're, they are crafty. There's, there's, there's true, like they're putting thought into how they're going to, how they're plotting, going to trick right? you. Plotting, they're plotting planning, it. Yeah. Their sinful heart is forcing them to think of ways. Sometimes even they won't admit that this is happening. They won't even understand that this is happening, but this is the reality of the, the spiritual world we live in today as it was back then. And that is exactly why you need to personally equip yourself with God's word and be ready to hear that deceit and be able to understand why it's deceitful. Why is what he's saying wrong? Why is this person speaking false? Why is it heresy to what I truly know God's word is actually trying to teach me? But I thought everything on the internet was true. <laughs> that's what that's what Abraham Lincoln said one day. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had a like a viewpoint. Somebody wrote something up. I was browsing through Reddit. I don't know how this even popped up. Some guy was to, started talking about on why Hitler did what he did and how it makes sense. And if you go, if you ignore every all everything you know, and you just look at that, you're like, man, this guy wrote such a convincing argument. It makes so much sense because, you know, from a logical uh, perspective, I don't know if maybe it was some sort of college student like that was given an assignment, be like, here, try to make this fallacy true and prove it with every step you can. Um, And I was like, yeah, but I know that I know the truth. I know the facts. And this isn't necessarily the case. But if you don't know, um, you can be easily misled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, like. Verse 16 is kind of awesome. And I think this is going to be the last verse we talk about in today's recording. Um, But verse 16 really covers the base of everything we've talked about because it says, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. So we talked about that a little bit, right? The body. We have have these gifts given um, by Christ, even though different to each one of us. But ultimately, um, the importance of each one is you know, very relevant, very something, something important to think about. There is importance to each one because joined and knit together, we all supply something, right? We all bring forward something. And according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so we get the gifts. We are fighting this danger that's out there. That's why we have that they're important. And ultimately, um, if we effectively, you know, supply and, and and do what we need to do, we are um, causing the growth of the body. Um, the church is growing, and so it, it ultimately edifies itself in love. And I think um, that's when I mentioned earlier when we began this recording that um, unity comes back into the picture here. I think I think you guys would all agree to that. And so um, these. Paul covers all these important bases and kind of explains it. He really explains um, to the believer of why this is important and why you need to not only think about it, but you need to act on it. I know we're cutting short on time. Um, Are we? Probably. We skipped 15. A little bit. Yeah. I think it's important. I don't know if we want to pick it up next week or... Go ahead, go into fifteen because I think I might have I might have been thinking about sixteen a little bit too much. Oh well, yeah, like I was just thinking how that's important. How I've seen it 
plays such a huge <clears throat> role in my life. Rather, so instead of um, being tossed to and fro, rather we, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Mm-hmm. So speaking the truth in love. And I realized like even my walk, how I have not spoken in love many times. Sometimes I'll speak truth, but not love. You know what I mean? And I'm like, this is true. And I'll say it in a mean way, in such a way where it's not loving. And in a way, not where my intention is for me to have a conversation, maybe to help a brother or sister grow, but usually in one of spite and to just kind of like, haha, I'm right and you're wrong. Um, and that's wrong, you know, cause th- there's a verse that says knowledge puffs up. And sometimes you think you have knowledge and you look at something that's incorrect and you're like, this is wrong. Um, yeah. Okay. But if you do point it out to somebody, you ought to do it in love and in such a way as a result from doing that, we are to grow up in every way into him. So like in every possible way, we are to grow to him together when we do this. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up, I want, I want to those listening to first, um, thank you for kind of listening to our, one of our longer episodes. Each time Austin comes here, we end up going way over. It's all his fault. (laughs) It's all your fault, Austin. Um, no more cold opens. Uh, but, but to really, to really, if you're thinking about what did I hear today and what am I going to take out of it? Um, I think we've covered some of the bases we've covered is that each one of us, when we receive Christ, um, through his grace, we, it says we have given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So each one of us, um, receives a gift and it's important to take that gift and use it and try to explore it and understand it and ask God to help you use it. Why? Because there is, um, a lot of trickery, a lot of cunning craftiness and deceitful, um, deceitfulness that is, that is kind of out there, um, that can throw us off the path. Um, and we might encounter some, some things in our life that, you know, we have to be able to discern, right? Is that the truth? Is that the correct thing? And and we might have to help another person discern. And so, um, it's very important because ultimately we need to have that growth in the body of Christ. And so, um, it is out there. You have to use it and God gives it to you. So find out what it is, um, use it. And like Mark said earlier, you know, he sits in the congregation and he's thinking about all the people sitting in the pews, how every person probably has most likely has something that they are gonna, that they can, uh, you know, glorify God with, but yet they're kind of idle in it, right? They're kind of not going out of their comfort zone and just kind of pausing there. Um, think about that. Think about that and pray about it. And I think if you understand why it's important, I think Paul stresses here why it's important. You will realize that you need to act on it um, because every part does its share. And I think we have to um, think about that. And if we want unity, we have to do our part because in that we edify of itself in love. And so it's important to act on it. And um, we'll finish with prayer. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for giving us this wonderful time and giving us this wonderful passage. Thank you for giving us um, the wisdom to talk about it, Lord, and all of the things we have heard today from each uh, member of the table today, Lord. And thank you for helping us have a better picture, a better understanding. And um, to those who are listening, 
Lord, I ask that you um, work with each person to think about what are they doing for you to edify, to bring closer, to um, help the body grow um, and help fight all the deceit that is out there, Lord, and to really help us understand uh, what you want us to do on this earth. Um, Thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for your salvation that you have given us, and uh, help us live and serve you, and help us tell others about you, and tell others that you came here, and that you descended and ascended up, Lord, and that you ultimately fulfilled everything that needed to be done, Lord, in order for us to receive the gifts that we get. Thank you so much for your love. May your name be praised. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope God was able to reach your heart so now you can go and share it with others. Feel free to leave any questions, prayer requests, or blessings. Join us on Instagram and share our podcast to others. And remember, always keep your heart in Scripture.